They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did he get here? Jesus replied, I'll tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous sound. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your, spend your energy seeking eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did, and now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I'll tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And when he eats my flesh and drinks my blood, remains in me and him, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Great. Thank you, Akin. That was brilliantly read. Quite a long passage, wasn't it? But... Uh, <laughs> Well done. Thank you so much. And it's great to be with you here. Um, 
thank you once again for your invitation. And uh, it's always a privilege to come and to be with you to share fellowship and also to share God's word. Um, I'm going to just share my screen so that we can see the PowerPoint. Hopefully you can see that. Let's just uh, make that full. There we go. So we're looking at Jesus's promises. I think this is um, a great series for a time such as this, with so much uncertainty and change coming at us from all angles. So it's good to be reminded that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And as we were reminded, I think it was last week, nothing will be impossible with God. So his promises are a sure thing and can certainly be relied upon, especially in these difficult days. But I wonder what your experience of promises is. Have you ever been promised something by someone and been badly let down? If so, it tends to colour our view of promises, doesn't it? What's that expression? Once bitten, twice shy. But God's promises are different. Because we read this lovely verse, I love this verse of Paul writing to the Corinthian church. And he says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, that is Jesus, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Just want us to pause for a moment just to reflect on how God's promises work. You see, this verse seems to be telling us that God issues the promise. And if we look through his word, his word is packed full of promises. Some of you may have one of those promise boxes, you know, where each day you take out a little scroll and written in small print on it is this promise from God. It's good every day to start the day with a promise from God. God issues the promise. But secondly, they are fulfilled in Christ. In other words, they are made yes in Christ. Wonder, have you ever declared that? Yes, when something goes just as you had hoped it would go. I don't know how many of you are going to be watching the England game this evening. I guess quite a few of you. And I wonder what you're going to shout out when maybe Harry Kane or Raheem Sterling or one of the others score for England. I bet you'll be shouting yes really loudly. Well, I think we should declare yes really loudly when Jesus fulfills the promises of God and every promise that God has issued is fulfilled in Christ. And then the last part of how God's promises work. Thirdly, when we receive them and trust them, then we are declaring the amen to the glory of God. What does that word amen mean? It means let it be so. So you see, God issues the promise, they're fulfilled in Christ, but we need to receive those promises for ourselves and declare amen. So you see, it's a transaction offered by God, fulfilled by Jesus, but only completed when we receive the promise. OK, 
Okay, I want you to hold that thought for a moment as we turn to today's promise. Today's promise in verse 47 of what passage that Akin read, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. I'll say that again. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Now that phrase, I tell you the truth, this is in the New Living Translation, is their equivalent of the King James Version. Some of you might have grown up with the King James Version and you would be much more familiar with the words, verily, verily, I say unto you. That's the same words in a different translation or in the English Standard Version, truly, truly. And basically our verse for today it's two Greek words at the beginning, repeated twice, which, of course, as you probably know, um, means it's for emphasis. Whenever we see something repeated twice in scripture, it's something that's important and we need to take notice. So the beginning of our verse, I tell you the truth or truly, truly, is two Greek words. And yeah, you can see what those words are. Amen. There we go. The word amen is a Greek word that we use in our prayers. And in the context of how God's promises work, amen is what we declare when we receive those promises. So rest assured, God has promised you eternal life. He's fulfilled that promise in Jesus Christ. And if you believe, then you've already received it. That is eternal life. Your eternal life begins not when you die, but when you receive the promise from Christ by faith with thanksgiving. But you may ask, well, what must I believe? It says anyone who believes has eternal life, but believe what? Well, we need to look at the context of this promise to see what it was that Jesus was wanting them to believe. So if we go to the beginning of the chapter, uh, verses 1 to 15, we would see that Jesus has fed the 5,000. Then verses 16 to 24, <clears throat> Jesus has sent his disciples across the Lake Tiberias. That's the same thing as the Sea of Galilee. And during the night, he walks on water to their boat. And then we get to verse 25 to 59, our passage. And we find that the crowd have caught up with Jesus and they ask him, Rabbi, when did you get here? As if to say, here you are. We've been looking for you everywhere. To which Jesus replied, you want to be with me because I fed you. In other words, the feeding of the 5000, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Now, we need to understand the significance of this word signs here, where it says you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the signs. That's an important word for John, who wrote John's gospel. You see, John's gospel differs from the other what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, in that John's gospel wasn't written as a record of Jesus's ministry, rather John selected a few of Jesus's teachings and miracles, which John refers to as signs, in order to convince his readers as to who Jesus is. 
How do we know this? Because John puts it at the end of his gospel. He says the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe. There we go. See, the whole of John's gospel is written so that you and I will believe. Believe what, though? It goes on that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So the feeding of the 5,000 itself was the fourth of seven signs that were chosen by John to convince Jesus's followers that he's the Messiah. But now Jesus emphasizes to the crowd. He says, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food, because that's what they were after him for. But he said, spend your energy seeking eternal life that the son of man can give you. So I'm going to suggest that our first lesson today in the promise of Jesus is this, that the people he was speaking to were after physical food, but Jesus promised to give them spiritual food such that they would never hunger or thirst again. Thousands of them had been fed with bread and fish that day until they were full and could eat no more. These were hungry people starving under the oppressive Roman occupation, taxed to within a hair's breadth of poverty, and Jesus has given them food. So it's not surprising that they'll follow him anywhere, nor that they declare in verse 34, sir, give us that bread every day. Now, do you recall the three temptations that Jesus faced after his baptism? The first one was when the devil said to him, if, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So you see, the feeding of the 5,000 was meant to be a sign pointing them to the living word through whom they would find eternal life. But they were only focused on the physical food that they were in need of. But they need, Jesus says, to open their eyes and see and believe and trust. And that brings us to the second part of today's promise. So lesson two of today's promise, lesson one, was that they were wanting physical food, but Jesus wanted them to have spiritual food. The second lesson, they kept looking back to past miracles instead of seeing what God is offering to do today. The crowd had asked Jesus, what can you do to convince us? They said, after all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. But Jesus responded by emphasizing that it wasn't Moses who gave them that bread, but their heavenly father. 
and that now he's offering them the true bread from heaven, that is Jesus himself, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So you see, the people kept looking back to their history. And yes, that was an important time in their history. The Exodus was God's act of salvation from slavery in Egypt. And the gift of manna, which was a kind of bread, kept them alive as they crossed the wilderness. But ultimately, they all still died. And so Jesus is saying to them, anyone who eats this bread from heaven, however, will never die. That's referring to himself. Hang on, let me just... Uh, He said, hang on, let's get the right slide. Here we go. Yes, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I offer so the world may live, is my flesh. You see, their focus on the past, on that ex Exodus experience, on keeping all those laws and sacrificial practices are about to be superseded now by God's ultimate act of salvation, the sacrifice of his only son, Jesus Christ, and his resurrection from the dead. This salvation will no longer depend on their works, but on their faith in God's grace and forgiveness. Sin and death will no longer have a grip on them. Belief in the truth will set them free forever. And so this is the third and final part of today's promise, the third lesson. They will no longer need to rely on their works of obedience, but on the grace of God, freely offered in Christ and his forgiveness made possible through the cross. And this is not just limited to the Israelites, to God's favoured people, but is offered freely to everyone who believes it and receives it. It's worth noting that in this passage alone, the word anyone appears eight times and the word whoever appears twice. So 10 times in this passage, we're reminded that this promise is for everyone, for you, for me, for everyone. And then Jesus's teaching ends with him alluding to the sacrament of what we've come to know as the Lord's Supper, the broken bread and the poured out wine that was his gift to remind us to be symbols of us taking for ourselves the benefit of the promise. So that's the context. That was what Jesus was promising to those people then. But how does this apply to us today? How does this promise speak to me? Well, I think this promise has got three questions to ask of us today. The first one, am I so focused on my material needs that I fail to respond to my spiritual needs? You see, Jesus is still saying to us, don't be so concerned about perishable things. Rather, spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had taught them to seek the kingdom of God above all else 
and live righteously. And then he would give you everything you need. I don't know if you've ever seen that illustration that sometimes people use. And if I'd been with you physically, I perhaps would have done this, but um, where you get a glass bowl and a whole pile of stones and a whole pile of sand. And you have to get all of, the, all of those stones and sand into the glass bowl. But if you put the sand in first, then you cannot get the stones in because if they sit on the sand, there'll be too many for the bowl. But if you put the stones in first and then pour the sand in, the sand filters down and fills in all those gaps between the stones and the bowl can be full but fit everything in. And of course, those stones are the important kingdom things, the things that God wants us to do. They're to be our priorities, the, the kingdom priorities. And the sand, that's everything else, all of our practical needs. And Jesus had said to them, put the kingdom first, put my promises first and your obedience of that and everything else I will give you. So am I so focused on my material needs that I fail to respond to my spiritual needs? The second question I think that this passage asks me is, is my tendency to look back too much, yearning for the past, rather than appreciating what God is wanting to do today? One of my favourite sayings is this. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. But today is a precious gift. That's why it's called the present. Who, get, who gave us that wonderful saying? It was Winnie the Pooh, or should I say A.A. Milne, through the character of Winnie the Pooh. I think Jesus is encouraging us not to dwell on the past, whether that's good or bad, and not to put off until tomorrow what needs to be seized today. But as Paul put it in his letter to the Corinthians, today is the day of salvation. And the writer to the Hebrews said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So is my tendency to look back too much, yearning for the past rather than appreciating what God is wanting to do today. And maybe because of that, I haven't received his promise of eternal life. And then the third question I think that this passage is asking us, am I inclined to place too much emphasis on works and effort and good deeds rather than on grace and mercy? Now, please don't misunderstand me. The good works that we do are important. But the question is, are they a natural response to God's love and grace or do I feel somewhere deep down that I need to earn his love and justify his grace? Am I trying through my works and good deeds to be saved? And of course, Paul was very clear, no, we are saved by simply receiving the free gift of God through Christ Jesus. So let me just draw this all together through a few final words. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. This is the truth. And as John reminds us in 
chapter 8, verse 32, the truth will set you free. The truth is this, that anyone, that is, no exceptions, no one's excluded, however unworthy you might feel, but anyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, who gave his life freely for you on the cross and rose again to put an end to sin and death. He or she, anyone, has eternal life. It started already. It's a free gift. God's promised it to you. Jesus has made it possible. You just need to believe in it and receive it for yourself. And then the transaction is complete. It really is as simple as that. Or as Jesus put it in our passage, this is the only work God wants you to do. Believe in the one he has sent. So the final and most important question is this. Do I believe? My answer is yes and amen. What's your answer? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not put off to tomorrow what needs answering today. For today is the day of salvation. And of course, once you've said yes and amen, eternal life is yours. It started already. And that puts all of life in a completely different perspective. Then we have hope. Hope that whatever life throws at us, we've always got that promise of eternity with Jesus. Let us pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank you that you have issued the promise. That promise has your seal upon it, so it cannot be rescinded. Thank you that Jesus has fulfilled that promise through his death and resurrection. And that all you require is for us to believe it and receive it, that we might have eternity with you. Thank you that when we have received that gift, our whole life takes on a completely different feel, a completely different meaning and a completely different perspective. And that as we put our trust in you, whatever this life throws at us, whatever difficulties we may face, whatever sadness and tears we encounter, that we know our hope ultimately is in you and that one day we will see you face to face and the amen will be declared together. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.